Welcome to Feed Your Health, a weekly podcast with your host, Morgan Shepard, where we'll be taking a deep dive into the big dial movers of health, focusing on movement, nutrition, and stress management. You'll get tangible takeaways, tactical knowledge, and exclusive stories to inspire and empower you on your transformational health journey. Let's get thriving. All right, welcome to the podcast. So today we are actually going to be talking about longevity and some various other topics that we hit along the way, but I have a special guest today, and her name is Patricia Hubbard. Welcome to the podcast, Patricia. Thanks, Morgan. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Awesome. So for my listeners, tell them a little bit about yourself. What's your story, how you got into coaching, what you do, etc. Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, I am a nutrition coach, part nutrition, part mental performance coach, but mainly nutrition coach. I actually started out in sports psychology. So got my bachelor's in sports psychology, got my master's in sports psychology, and um, wanted to go be a mental performance coach in the MLB. I'm a huge baseball fan. So that was kind of the idea or the goal. But in undergrad, I was taking a lot of nutrition classes and was really interested in all that stuff. Thought it was really cool and was kind of between nutrition and sports psychology for my master's program. But when I worked with nutritionists and like dietitians, personally, myself, they were all about kind of like counting calories and that I just that just seemed like a really boring profession for me. I was like, I don't really want to just help people count calories. That sounds like horrible, right? Yeah. So I decided to go into sports psychology and within my grad, my grad program, I started to take a few electives that were health psychology and exercise psychology and kind of touched on how to help people stick to healthy dietary patterns, a fitness routine, just things that would help them to become healthier. So I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like I, I kind of want to go that way. So decided to take my education in sports psychology, bridge it with nutrition certification and help people through lifestyle changes, kind of the mental piece of of nutrition rather than just counting calories. So that's how I got into nutrition coaching. I love that. Yeah, it's been it's a different take on nutrition, but it's it's a blast. I'd say it's kind of in line with what I do cuz like Counting calories is a whole, like, other vibe. Yes, it does work, but if you're not addressing the root of the problem and you're not focusing on, like, behavior change and why you're thinking the way you're thinking and what you're doing and all of that, counting your calories isn't going to do anything. (laughs) Like... So I totally vibe with your direction that you went in there. And I feel like our philosophies kind of align a little bit there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me more about kind of what your philosophy is along the along those lines? Well, so I focus a lot on developing awareness with clients and teaching them to sort of like tune into their bodies and their minds so that they can navigate their relationship with food, essentially, because a lot of it is, you know, your your high, high emotions, high stress, not much energy, you haven't slept well, and you're not, you're sort of an autopilot. You get into these situations where you're like mindlessly eating. And so a lot of what I do is helping clients work through that process of how do I get out of those situations? How do I start paying attention to what is actually triggering me? And then using that ideally to support their weight loss goals. That's huge. Awareness is huge. I mean, like you said, we're on autopilot. I feel like a lot of times we're reacting rather than responding to what's going on in our environment, our our food cues, our hunger cues, those types of things. So 
Yeah, that's awesome. That awareness piece is huge. Tell me a little bit about the systems that you use. I, I've noticed, I stalked your website a little bit. Um, you use something called MindSpeak, and then you talked about six keys to nutrition. Go into that a little bit. Yeah. So, so MindPeak is my core program, my, my signature program. And basically what it is, is it focuses on five core systems in the body, which are the six, the six keys to nutrition that, that you touched on. These are metabolic health, gut health, inflammation, uh, nutrient status, and sleep and stress management. So all of the work that I do with my clients, I, those are the kind of five systems in the body that rule everything. So whether it is, whether you want to lose weight, uh, whether you want to gain weight, you know, lose or gain weight, improve health conditions, improve mental health, basically everything, these core systems kind of regulate all things. I developed this program basically through just a, a ton of research, research on, I guess, what, what really impacts your health. And I came up with these five systems throughout all that research. And when I first was developing my program, I, you know, I created this like beautifully crafted, designed program based on all these protocols that support all of these systems from what I found in the research, what evidence was saying. And it was great, but like it was extremely overwhelming to the average person who was coming to me for coaching. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I was going in like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to fix your gut with this. We're going to fix your metabolic health with this. And it was kind of just like this, you know, this wide eyed, like, oh my gosh, what is she talking about? Deer in the headlights. Right? What are you talking about? Right. Uh, yeah. They're like, is this going to take three years? Like what, what are we doing? <laughs> um, so I peeled it back a lot. And, um, whereas I'm still focusing on improving all of these systems, I do so in a way that's realistic with the average person's lifestyle. <laughs> uh, we build lifestyle skills, we build nutrition skills so they can, you know, improve these systems regularly, ideally after, you know, my program without my help, they know, they know exactly how to fuel their body. They know how to move their body. They know how to get rest and relaxation and, and that type of thing, which, all of which help to kind of regulate these systems, optimize these systems so that they can function properly. So what would you say if a client came in and was like, so I want to lose 20 pounds and I'm feeling like, you know, I'm tired and all of this stuff is happening and like they want results now. <laughs> like we have so many people who come to us and they, they want like a quick fix or they want to go on this restrictive diet. And like, how do you handle that when a client doesn't necessarily have realistic goals? Totally. And it's about, I think it's about managing expectations and actually recognizing what it is that they really want. Cause I've, you know, I have, I'm sure you do too. We all do have these clients that come to us, like you said, and they're like, yeah, I want to lose 20 pounds by tomorrow. And you're like, okay, well, um, do you really? And you know, I, I, I say this to a lot of my clients and I'm like, we can lose weight. I have no problem helping you lose weight. We can do that. But you know, if, if you want to lose 10 pounds in the next month, sure, we can do that. But you're also going to be extremely exhausted you're going to not feel great. You're going to be like at risk for injuries. And, um, and then after the month is over and you've lost the 10 pounds, you're going to regain it. So like, is that what you really want? Or do you really want to feel good in your skin? Do you really want to feel energized? Do you want to feel, you know, do you want to have more vitality 
and see the numbers on your lab work improve? Or is it just a number on the scale for you? And most of the time people recognize, yeah, it's a little bit more than just a number on the scale. So you basically help them work through why they want to do this, like figuring out a vision of like, what do you want your future to look like if this happens? And then sort of getting deeper into like, well, really, you want to be able to do some epic shit and like go on an adventure and go hang with your family and your kids and your friends and all that. And it's not necessarily about the weight. It's about being comfortable in your body to be able to do that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like you said, it's, it's more than just the weight. It's like you said, we want to do epic shit and, um, maybe, maybe weight is a piece of that puzzle, but it's not the only piece. It's, it's a much bigger puzzle. I'm interested to hear how, how you work through that kind of stuff with, you know, new clients that come to you with that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot of navigating why they came to me in the first place and, you know, what their pain point is. So I get a lot of people who come to me and they are in a body that they feel is too big, that isn't comfortable in the way the world is set up because we live in a society that is designed for skinny people. <laughs> um, and so it's challenging because while they, they want to lose weight, it's really that they just want to be comfortable in their body in the world. And so I think a lot of it comes down to like working through body image issues and working through understanding that they are still a wonderful person in their body that they have now even if they don't ever lose any weight right. they can still be happy now right it's it is that big mindset shift because like you said we are our society is focused on skinny people and that can that can play a huge role in people's motivation to losing weight or what they think is their motivation to lose weight I think a lot of people also come in with this idea that we're going to put them on macros or we're going to put them, you know, counting calories and doing that kind of thing. And it's going to be, you know, you do this thing for three months and then you'll have lost the weight and you'll be at this finish line rather than looking at it from the perspective that I think both you and I have of like, let's install some habits that you can do for the rest of your life to support that doing epic shit kind of thing. So what are some some of the habits that you think are instrumental in long-term health? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's definitely a lot of what people think of when they think of nutrition coaching, diet, whatever is that counting calories, counting macros. But it is all about lifestyle habits. I think one of the biggest ones that I work on and a lot of my clients are kind of shocked to hear that I do this is like it's the almost the first thing we do is sleep is focusing on their sleep because sleep controls everything I think is it is foundational to one's health I would probably go as far as to say is the majority of us don't get enough good quality sleep I think this is like a huge problem in our society and that can play a role in their eating patterns so if I'm not helping them to improve their sleep then you know, their willpower is going to go out the window when I'm like, okay, let's eat more vegetables. They're going to be like, no, I just want candy because that's what, that's what low sleep does. So sleep is one of the biggest lifestyle habits. Once we get that hammered down, once we get that as more of a routine for them, we can start focusing on other lifestyle habits like, you know, regular physical activity, eating balanced meals, eating regular meals, I think is a huge problem for a lot of people. Cooking their cooking their meals at home is is a challenge and something that people aren't comfortable with. Yeah. I love that you mentioned sleep because for me, if I don't get enough sleep, like it messes up my 
entire week, maybe even month, honestly, if you think about it. But like, I also noticed the correlations of like, if I eat certain things, they're going to affect my sleep patterns. I'm so aware of my body. I know these things happen, but like, I can't imagine someone who doesn't know that if you eat this, it's going to wake you up at two or three in the morning and you're not going to have good sleep. Like how do you, like I prepare for those moments, but if someone like, if you didn't know that that was what was going to happen, you would just be constantly messing yourself up because you wouldn't have any idea that that's the cause or at least part of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think so many people, like you said, they, it's beyond that. They're not aware, like certain foods impact their sleep. They're not even aware that food or dietary patterns can have an impact on sleep. Like for a lot of people, they're two separate things. And that's where a lot of that awareness piece that you help your clients to build comes into play, whether it's, you know, with sleep. And I know with a lot of people, they don't even realize sleep is the first thing to go. Mm -hmm. We're in a busy, busy world. We have so much to do. Where can I cut corners? Sleep is where they cut corners. Right. I do it. I don't do it as much as I used to because I know that I pay for it later, but like, it happens. Right. No, I think, and it's the easiest thing to do because like, you're not answering to anyone when you're sleeping, right? You don't have, you like, you don't have this deadline that you have to meet. Nobody's counting on you to get to bed. So it's, it is, it's easy to just, okay, I'll just, you know, push it an hour later. I'll just stay up an hour later. I've got to get this thing done. But then, like you said, you pay for it. <laughs> you pay for it. But people tend to make up for this or so they think make up for this lack of sleep with caffeine and whatever else they feel keeps them awake, which you know, isn't the best kind of, <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge fan of coffee. I drink it every day, but, but when we're trying to substitute sleep for, or caffeine for sleep, that's when I think we fall into a lot of issues, a lot of challenges. Oh, for sure. I worked in food service for 13 years. And honestly, I don't know how I made it alive because I feel like there were days that I would have at least five, six, seven cups of coffee. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I would regularly have like a rock star, which I think is like 260 milligrams of caffeine. Right. And now if I have more than my one and a half cups of coffee, I'm going to wake up at 3 a.m. I know I am. Like I, my cutoff time for coffee is 1030, 11 if I'm pushing. Right. <laughs> Right. No, I'm, I'm the exact same way. And, and then back to like that idea of foods or, or dietary patterns messing with sleep is people don't realize that, you know, you can't guzzle coffee or rock stars all day long and then expect to get good quality sleep. And this is something that I talk to my clients about all the time. I have a lot of clients that now it's, it's uh what is it? Celsius. Celsius is the way to go. The uh, energy drink. I've seen it. I haven't tried it. Yeah, well, it's good. It tastes good. But they're drinking it at like 8 p.m. And I'm like, okay, let's let's take a step back here. Because even if you feel like you're falling asleep, you're not getting restful, deep sleep that your body needs. It's kind of just restructuring that that mindset of I need to stay awake, I need to drink coffee and then or any sort of caffeine and then falling into that downward spiral where you're just never getting enough sleep. So yeah, sleep is important. (laughs) One of the things that a lot of the people that I work with, we focus on is trying to put into place habits that will support the goals that they're trying to achieve within their life. So like, I know a lot of times people will sign up for a program and they'll be like, okay, I have to do this exactly. And I have to do it perfectly. And I have to show up in a way that you know, is like this very all or nothing mindset. 
And it doesn't work like that because ultimately, like, you know you're going to have situations that pop up and derail you and, like, will feel like failures, but they're not necessarily failures. Talk to me a little bit about, like, how you work with clients on getting over that all-or-nothing mindset. That is huge. That is something that I'd go as far as to say 95% of the clients that I've ever worked with will say that. They're like, I'm either off or I'm on, and there's just no in-between. And, I mean, that's that's hard because like you mentioned, you can't be on all the time. And so we want to get to a point where if you can't be perfect, you're at least doing something. It's not all or nothing. It's always something, right? The biggest thing I've I've started to use with my clients, and I think that it's really resonating with most of them, is that is this idea of a light switch mindset versus a dial mindset. So with the light switch mindset, you're, again, you're either off or on. You're either turning it off or on. There's You can't just like hold it there in the middle. It's no dimmer. <laughs> yeah. A dial mindset is you turn it down, but you never turn it off. So there are days when you can be perfect with everything. You're you know, cooking three meals at home, walking 10K steps, you're getting your eight hours, whatever. That's a 10, right? But days where you can't be a 10 doesn't mean that you're just at zero. You can push it down to whatever you need for that day. So maybe you're at an eight one day where you're still eating three meals a day, but you were stuck in meetings all day. So you didn't get your 10K steps. Or maybe, you know, you're traveling. It's a busy time of life. The holiday season, you're at a two or a three where you're just just meeting your non-negotiables. And that's something that I do is I set some non-negotiables with all my clients so that they they're committing to themselves to do something every day. But it's not this idea that if I can't do it all, then I'm just not going to do anything. I actually work with my clients to write down what it is. Like, you know, we have a dial with 10 numbers and we're going to write down each number, what that looks like to them. And then based on the day, we'll say, okay, what, what number do you need to be at today? Somebody's sick. Okay. What are we going to do for a one? What are you going to do? If you're, if you're traveling, what are you going to do for a three? And, um, and that, I think that helps them to stay consistent, but also see, like visualize mentally visualize health and nutrition differently. Yeah. Right. I love that. It's also like the gas on your on your car. You could drive your car at either point, you know, but which is better? And like, I look at it kind of like, here's, you know, you could do it in a color code because I'm a visual person. So I see it like from red to green or green to red. Yeah, right. Down here, it's like red and over here is green. And then the dial could go this way. I like that gas analogy because it's like, you know, if you don't have a full tank, you're not just going to like abandon your car. <laughs> you're not just going to leave it in the driveway. It's a, such a great analogy. I love it. Right. You're not going to walk everywhere from here on out. Like you can still drive it unless you let it run out of gas. At, at some point, you got to fill back up. But I like that analogy. That's a good one. I actually went, I was working with a coach for a little bit and I was struggling to get in my steps because I am also building this business and I was in school and studying. And so all of this stuff was happening and I was just, I would get so mad at myself that I couldn't hit the number that I was trying to hit. And she was finally like, you know, it can be like, you don't have to do all of your steps every day perfectly. Like you can have a few on this day, like if you look at the week as like, here's your week, try and hit most of them so that you have this number at the end of the week. Like you don't have to do everything right. every day perfectly. I mean, I, I eventually got there, but it was hard for my brain because I was like, I want to be right. perfect. No, I think that's huge. I think that's a big problem with a lot of people is this idea of, of perfection. And that's not really a great thing to strive for. And it doesn't work for that sustainable longevity of doing this thing forever. You know, if I'm going to mm -hmm. be active and doing movement for the rest of my life, if I'm trying to be perfect every day, I'm never going to I'm never going to succeed at that and I'm always going to have some kind of shame or guilt that I didn't get to that point. 
of doing the thing perfectly. But if I let go of that and I'm able to be like, okay, I can half-ash it and still get stuff done. Exactly. Just kind of my motto right now right. in my business. But. <laughs> yeah. And it gets over that, that idea of starting too. If you wake up in the morning and you've got a full schedule and it's just like, there's no way I'm going to get 10, 10 K steps in. Right. Like you're just not even going to start or same thing with a diet. Like if you're like, oh, I have no idea how to count all these things and do all, you're not going to start. But if you're like, okay, let me just check some boxes, get some sort of movement in that'll snowball, that'll snowball into more and more of what you want to be doing. Yeah. It's kind of like if you're trying to eat an elephant, you're not going to do it all at once. I'm a vegan, so obviously I'm not going to eat an elephant, but like <laughs> if I were. You're trying to eat a huge tree. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned non-negotiables what are your non-negotiables and are they different per each client because I feel like everybody is different so they would have to have different things that were necessary or important exactly yeah I ask I honestly ask them what their non-negotiables are because if I prescribe non-negotiables I don't like I don't know their life well they're my clients so I know their lives to an extent but yeah. like I don't know their day-to-day non-negotiables sh should be things that you are going to enjoy doing because if you're not they're not going to be a non-negotiable you're not gonna be able to do that every single day so if I'm like yeah every day you have a salad and I have a client that's like I absolutely hate salads one we might try to rework that to uh, <laughs> to see if there's some salads that they can enjoy but but, but that's also like, that's not necessary. I always, what I do is I start with my clients with that dial mindset and we look at number one and that's where we go to what are your non-negotiables. And I would say nine times out of 10, they give me these lofty non-negotiables. Like, okay, I'm going to sleep eight hours and, you know, walk 10 K steps, like things that should be their 10. And we got to break. I'm like, let's cut that in half right? Is that going to be realistic for you to do every single day until you die? No. Okay. Let's cut it in half. Is that going to be realistic? No? Okay, so maybe let's cut it in half again. But it's, yeah, it is really up to them. And I can, if people just come to me and they have absolutely no idea, I can suggest some things. But we typically, they typically have an idea of what it is that they want to be doing every single day that's going to help them feel good. Because by the time that they come to work with me, they've probably tried a lot of different things. You know, they're adults, so... They have a general sense of awareness of what helps them to feel their best and what they want to be doing on a regular basis. What are yours personally, if you have some? I No, I do. I get between 8,000 and 10,000 steps every day because I just, I like walking. I think it, I especially like walking in between when I'm trying to work because when I'm overwhelmed or stressed or just need a boost of creativity, walking always, always does it for me. Let's see. I, protein is another non-negotiable for me. I get protein at every single meal. Um, I don't count how many grams I get, but I make sure I'm getting a high quality protein source at least three times a day, four times a day, most days. I would like to say sleep is a non-negotiable. I do every day get at least seven hours, but you know, some days life happens. Life happens. I was on a, a red eye the other day from California and I did not get anywhere near seven hours. No, nope. but you know, not much you can do there. What are your non-negotiables? I'd say probably pretty similar. Definitely the protein. I feel like I sleep better when I get enough protein and I have more energy and so I have to be more like I count how much I'm getting because as a vegan I'm like I have to make sure and I have to eat so much more it's, it's just an interesting challenge but 
we make it work. I used to be vegan, so I I get the challenge. I definitely get the challenge. <laughs> the amount that I'm eating is just so much more, and my stomach, like, if I don't get in the walk, then my stomach feels overly stuffed. But if I balance it and I make sure I get in my walk, then we're all good and everything is fine. Sure. It's great, but... Yeah, so definitely try and get in my walks and my protein. Water, I'm really big on water. I do a lot of water, <laughs> drinking it. And then one of mine would probably be getting in my strength training workouts three or four times a week. Because if I don't do that, then my brain is like on crazy mode and I get not nice. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm with you there. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Some things are just so like second nature. <laughs> but I guess that's that's a non-negotiable, right? I, I love strength training because like you said, it's it's almost like meditative in a way. It's calming and allows you to do epic shit because you just feel strong, which is nice. <laughs> epic shit. So what are some of the biggest things that you feel like really stall people when they come to you? Hurdles or challenges that they run up against? I'd say the, the five top biggest challenges that you encounter. Definitely. I would say number one is perfectionism. Perfectionism, that all or nothing mindset. That is huge. Honestly, I think, and this might just be because I come at it from this perspective. I have my, you know, my background in sports psychology, but I would say all five are probably mindset based. So we've got, you know, that perfectionism. We've got the unwillingness to be uncomfortable. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, the habits that we've engaged in for so long, they they serve a purpose. They are solving a problem. And, you know, we have to admit that. But at some point, like, they might be creating more problems than they're solving. So undoing these habits are going to be, it's going to be uncomfortable. And a lot of people, I think, run up against this uncomfortableness and they're like, oh, if it's, if it's hard, if it's uncomfortable, it can't be right. I'm not, I'm not doing it right. So I'm just going to go back to what I was doing before. Well, yeah. Cause as a species, we're like, let's keep ourselves safe. If this is uncomfortable, then it's gotta be dangerous. So, uh, no stinks pass. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's, and that's how our brain is primed to be. And that's how we've evolved and lived as a species for so long. So like, I accept it. I, I recognize that it has its place. Um, but that's where working with your brain is so powerful because you can literally understand like, okay, my brain is trying to protect me right now. Thanks brain. Appreciate you, but I'm safe. I'm okay. Right. Like getting an extra couple steps in today is not going to kill me. Right. Like eating, cooking my meals at home. It's, it's going to be okay. I'm, I'm going to be safe here, which is something that I, that I work with a lot of my clients on doing is is recognizing when their brains are trying to keep them safe and, you know, having that mindfulness, like accepting what, what's happening, accepting the thoughts that they're experiencing and then allowing themselves to do it anyway, to work through it anyway, which is tough for people, understandably. Okay. So that's two. I was going to ask if you teach your clients any kind of like mindfulness practices that they can do themselves. Yeah. I, I preach mindfulness. A lot of mindfulness that I do is with accepting things as, so it's called decentering. So accepting things as coming and going. So, you know, if you're feeling, for example, cravings, if you're having like really bad cravings and you, you just can't forget about this pizza, sitting there, accepting the fact that you're experiencing these cravings, that's okay. That, that happens, you know, that <laughs> we're human, that's life, pizza's good. But then recognizing that in two or three minutes, you're going to be feeling differently than you are right now. 
and how you're feeling right now is different than how you were feeling five minutes ago. Just because you're experiencing these feelings doesn't mean that you have to act on them. That's a big thing that I I work with my clients on, especially a lot of them as we go through. Um, sometimes we we take out some some things to see if they might be sensitive to them. We do a little bit of an elimination diet and that's tough. It's tough for a lot of people, a lot of like mentally. So we work on a lot of decentering as we're doing that. So other mindfulness is kind of, you know, what you're speaking about this awareness piece, this interoceptive awareness piece. I'm, I'm really big on kind of understanding what your body is saying, what it's needing, what it's wanting, what, you know, what the difference is between needing and wanting in any given moments, I think is absolutely huge to be able to make make an informed decision based on what your body body is telling you and we're so used to not paying attention to our own bodies we're so overstimulated by all this stuff that's happening around us we don't ever take the time to tune in to us absolutely i mean our our environment is overstimulating us and there's just so many just speaking about food cues like there's a plenty of other cues that can impact our ability to focus on ourselves but just food cues in our environment that can cause us to start craving or cause us to feel hungry when we're not and so many people aren't able to decipher between okay I'm I'm craving this because I just saw a Taco Bell commercial and therefore I'm starting to remember what what that tastes like and want it versus okay I'm craving this because I'm actually hungry in this moment and my body is you know wanting some Crunchwrap Supreme, <laughs> whatever it is that, <laughs> that Taco Bell has right now. That's exactly true. We're definitely overstimulated. Okay. So we had perfectionism, learning to be uncomfortable. So I guess going along with the unwillingness to be uncomfortable is the unwillingness to stand out or stick out or be different because yeah, focusing on your health is different in today's society. A lot of people are not doing that. So people, I think, fear being looked at as weird or imposing. Yep. I hear a lot of this. Like, why are you ordering that? Why are you eating the salad? Why are you getting that extra piece of protein on the side? Exactly. Yeah. What are you doing? Why aren't you drinking tonight? Like, let's order shots. And you're just like, oh, that one. Like, no, I don't do shots anymore. Thanks. That was old Morgan. <laughs> I don't want to be hungover for the next three days. But yeah, exactly. And it's all these questions. And it's just like a lot easier to just do what everyone else is doing. Follow the crowd. Right. That's where I think a lot of people kind of fall off, I should say. I don't like that term fall off. But I feel like that's where a lot of people do fall off, especially with the holidays coming up. I've, hear, I've been hearing a lot from clients saying like, I don't want to impose. I don't want people to have to make different dishes for me, which I understand. Like, you know, I don't want to go to my parents' house and have my mom cook me a whole nother dish. That, that can be uncomfortable, but it doesn't mean that you just have to give in and eat what everyone else is eating, right? You can take you can take responsibility for eating the way you want to eat or living the way that you want to live. In. Yeah, I do that a lot as a vegan. If I'm going to go to a family event, in the beginning, I would just be like, I'll just bring my own food. No big deal. Now, some of the family members are like, oh, I'll just make you something else. So then they're like, oh, do you have a recipe? And I'm like, well, you know, but okay. And then we go through this whole process of like, oh, what can I eat? What can I eat? And then they'll make me something and they'll get really excited about it. But like in the beginning I literally just brought my own food or I brought some appetizers that were enough food for me to eat while also looking like I was just bringing food for the buffet but like it was vegan but nobody knew right those are two really good options I mean like you know if you have sort of dietary patterns that you like to follow you can bring a dish that you're okay with eating but I'm interested to hear so at first when you were kind of bringing your own food 
Was it because you felt like it was a burden to other people or it was just easier or? It was just easier. I didn't know them well enough to be like, can you cook me something? So like, I would just be like, it's fine. I'll just bring something. Right. Also, if it was like, you know, it wasn't at my partner's parents' house. It was at like the neighbor across the street. I literally have no idea. I don't know this man. I'm, I'm, I have no contact with them. So I have literally no idea if there's going to be food for me. So yes, I could pre-eat, which I have done that too but it's also weird when you pre-eat and you're not eating with everybody else so just bringing something that I could eat while I was there instead of just surviving on potato chips yeah right because then you're you're in a situation where you have to make choices that you probably don't want to be making in general you know part of those kind of gatherings are you want to you know eating is part of the enjoyment of being with people part of the process yeah yeah so finding a way that works for you that fits kind of your what it is that you want to be eating is going to be is really important so it's you know bring what you bring what you want to eat or work with people if you can like if it's if it's your parents they know you they know your kind of situation and they're willing to do that kind of stuff. They're willing to be more flexible for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's huge. So that was three. What about self-sabotage? Self-sabotage is huge. Do you get that a lot? It's almost this idea of, oh, I'm not that type of person. So like, I'm not the kind of person that can put their health first. Like I'm always, it's, it's the stories that they're telling themselves. I'm always on and off diets. Actually was just talking with a client the other day and it was like, I can never say no to, I don't remember what it was, cake or there was like a bunch of things that she could never say no to. And I was like, well, can you? Or is this just something that, is this just something that you've told yourself for so long that it, now it's become true? Self-sabotage is, is huge. And I think that is, you know, back to the brain trying to keep you safe is this idea of this is who I am. This is who how I live my life. And so I'm going to live along the lines of, of what I've been, you know, the stories that I've been telling myself for so long. Yeah, the patterns. I think that also relates back to like, when I first start working with a client, we develop a vision of who they want to be, the type of person they want to become that has the habits and the values and the things that will get them living the life they want to live. So like, for example, if I want to be bulkier and have more muscle, I need to be eating more protein. And I need to factor that into my life and set it up so that I can do that. Sure, if you look at past Morgan, she didn't eat protein. She didn't focus on protein. That wasn't something she paid attention to. But like, if I want to become the person that looks a certain way, then I have to find the behavior that's going to get me there. So I think it plays a lot into like identifying who that higher future self is and what are their behaviors and then like mm -hmm. sort of trying to become that. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think that have you ever read the as if principle? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of along the lines. Like, you know, you want to act as if, yeah. act the way that you want to be. If you want to be this person, how does this person act? What does this person do on a day-to-day -day basis? And I think that in order to rewrite these stories, it's not just about like, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to think about things differently. Like that's part of it, but let's act differently because acting differently is going to show yourself, oh, I am this kind of person. I am the person that eats protein. I am the person that lifts heavy. It's different than how I've been in the past. Rather than being stuck in the patterns of the beliefs that you've been telling yourself that, oh no, I am a skinny person and I don't eat that. Right. Or like, I can't eat that or I can't get it in. I know when I first, six months ago, I was trying to change my eating patterns. And it's kind of like when you start a new job, those first three months suck. 
you're learning something new. You've never done it before and you don't know what you're doing and it just feels so uncomfortable. But you have to be like, I don't know how to do this yet and it feels uncomfortable because I haven't learned how. Once I learn how, then it'll get easier and I'll feel better and things will become a habit and become more part of who I am. So like rather than just like freaking out in that first three months, give it some time and like just you know, Mm -hmm. be patient because learning things is hard. Yeah, it is. And I think so many of us are too hard on ourselves and don't give ourselves enough grace in those first three months or six months or whatever it is, you know, whether it's with health, a new job, starting a business. So many of us just are like, oh, if, if I don't get it right, right away, I must suck at this. I'm not, I'm not cut out for this. And it's like, no, let's take it a step back. Like it's hard. It's going to be difficult. You're learning new things. You're learning new skills. You're building new habits. And that's not going to be, it's not linear. No, I really like that idea is, you know, giving yourself grace within that learning period. And then once you learn it, it'll be easier. I think that touches on the idea of self-compassion and just like recognizing that learning is hard and that, you know, you might say, oh, I failed. And like, I fell off the wagon. I suck at this thing. But like, you're learning. That's why you suck. Right. (laughs) Like you have to be nice to yourself it's like if a toddler is learning how to do something you're not gonna get mad at them because they can't do it you're just gonna guide them along and be like you're gonna figure it out eventually so you're you're a toddler right (laughs) exactly we're all toddlers and in what we're doing that's new I think that I saw this thing when I was first starting out as a coach and it was like so relieving to see it was like I forgot the exact quote but it was like a baby doesn't fall down twice after trying to walk and then decides like oh it's not for me walking's not for me yeah I'm like yeah that's true why do we like why do we lose that kind of toddler mindset as we grow up when it comes to different things that we're trying that are that are like walking right like none of us got up and never fell down the first time that applies to everything fear I think fear plays a huge role because like we're afraid of other people judging us we're afraid of our own self-criticism we're afraid of just looking stupid The number of times that I've gone to the gym and I've lifted weights and I've been uncomfortable with the other people around me, they're not paying attention to me, but in my head, I'm like, oh, they're totally judging what I'm doing. I know I'm doing this move wrong. They have to be judging me. They don't care. But like, they don't care. I know. That's a huge, yeah, that's a huge barrier for a lot of people. I know it was for me too when I first started going to the gym. Like, you know, looking back at it, do you go to the gym and look at people who are new and think, oh my gosh, like, what are they doing? <laughs> like, anyone who is who goes to the gym regularly, if you see someone new, you're probably like, heck yeah. Like, you got it. Like, whether you're saying that to them or not, like, you're not judging them. Yep. I was saying on the podcast that I just recorded with another person, we're all in the gym for the same reason, to better ourselves. And I think so many times we forget that. Like, even in society, we're all just living life, trying to enjoy the experience. And yet we get wrapped up in judgment and fear of what other people are thinking or believing. It's great. Yeah, no, it's true. And I think that calls for a lot more mindfulness in everyday living. We're recognizing that we're all here in the present moment doing what hopefully we want to be doing. And yeah, instead of getting caught up in the, in the judgment and the criticism and the fear and whatever, whatever it is that's holding you back, just, you know, just allowing yourself to be in the present moment with everyone else who is on this ride with us. What would you say is one of your top tips 
for a person trying to develop more self-compassion? Yeah, that's, it's tough. I have this journal prompt that I share with my clients and I kind of have them walk through things mindfully. If they go in their check-in and they're like, this week was terrible, you know, I can sense that they are being hard on themselves. I'm like, I want us to go through, you're telling me a documentary. You are the talking to me as if you were narrator telling me what's going on in this documentary about your life. You're just telling me exactly what happened. You're not saying this was bad, this was good, whatever. You're just telling me exactly what happened. Once we do that, they're able to, one, recognize themes, what contributed to certain things that maybe they didn't want to be doing or maybe they wanted to be doing more of. And then we're also looking at it from a perspective of like, okay, we're talking about this, you know, documentary. If this wasn't you, how would you be looking at this? They're like, oh yeah, well, it would make sense that this person went home and stress ate because like their boss was mean to them and this happened and this happened and this happened. And like the only way that they know how to deal with stress is by stress eating. Like, okay, so you're saying what happened makes sense and what happened has a reason. So it's okay in this situation to be okay with yourself for doing this. Mm. And I think that that kind of looking at it from like a bird's eye view is a lot, is really helpful for a lot of people. I love that because that's one of the things that I sort of work with clients through is that same process. I'm interested to hear. Once you get to that point of like, you've looked at the situation, you've been objective and like taken a step back and realized that that's an obvious reaction. Like you, of course you would act in that way. That's how most people would act. But then taking it to the next level and being like, okay, so this is a pattern of things that are going to happen again. And what can we do now to sort of prepare ourselves for that trigger when it happens again and sort of create a space so that you can be like, okay, I can make a new decision when it pops up again. What would you say is like the thing, like a lot of times people struggle from getting to the point of, I see this happening and then making a new decision. Mm -hmm. How do they make that jump? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think it starts with awareness of the trigger. And once we've built that awareness, it's that's where that mindfulness piece comes in is that, okay, I'm experiencing this trigger right now. I have a decision and it's pausing, right? Yep. So if their trigger is, I get home from work every single day, whenever I'm stressed, go straight into the kitchen. So we recognize, okay, on the car ride home, you're recognizing I'm stressed. It's been a stressful day and right now I'm being pulled to go into the kitchen. Let's take a pause here. What can we do instead that would allow you to de-stress, would allow you to feel better, more aligned with your goals? So I think the biggest thing is ha having that awareness of the trigger and then pausing. Pausing and making a decision that you want to be making. I mean, that's exactly, that's exactly it. Yeah, what about you? I'm interested to hear how you work with clients through that. That's exactly what I teach my clients. Right. Like, yeah, perfect. Spot on. And it's, the pause is like 30 seconds. I'm like, set a timer for 30 seconds. And you'll recognize that in 30 seconds, what you were craving or what you were pulled to do is over. <laughs> you no longer have that kind of pull to engage in, you know, whatever behavior you're looking to, to change. I'm launching my 60 strategies for how to end emotional eating and overeating and when you get in that like autopilot mode and you're grazing it's basically a list of strategies some of them are like techniques tools some are like perspective shifts that allow you to sort of step back and be like okay what can I do instead so it's it's that list of what are the choices that I could make instead of turning to food for comfort or 
you know, for boredom. It's just a little freebie. What do you think about why the holidays are the perfect time to hire a coach or start a new program or just focus on getting healthier in general? Right, right. No, I think that because the holiday season brings with it unique challenges and unique routines, everything is disrupted. Normal life is like gone for two months straight. And I think for many people who go into the holiday season, you know, a lot of people that go into the holiday season who care about their health, who are focused on their health 10 months out of the year, but don't know how to adopt it. Kind of like we were, we've been talking about this kind of all or nothing perfectionist. They don't know how to adopt certain behaviors to make it more of a lifestyle behavior rather than just like a gotta do it, gotta check all these boxes. These types of people might need a little more support around the holidays instead of just falling completely off. Because, you know, falling completely off in, I don't know, July, September, like, like it's going to be tough to get back on. But over the holidays, there's so many more stressors, more opportunities to, you know, engage in habits that you don't want to engage in. A lot of temptations around that can make it so that, you know, you're completely putting your health on the back burner for two months straight. And I know for many people, they start the new year off with the same resolution year after year after year. And it's like, we want to be building on last year's resolutions rather than having the exact same one. Starting over. Exactly. Everyone's like, oh, well, the holiday season, it's it's just going to be impossible. And I think that that's exactly why. Yeah. That's exactly why it's important to, you know, hire a coach, join a program because they can help you to navigate this time of the year so that you're consistent with what you want to be consistent with. You have someone in your corner being like, hey, I know you want that thing and you can have some of it, but just like, you know, chill. Don't eat the whole cake. Eat like part of it. Exactly. Right. And then like once you, you know, once you've eaten the cake, cool. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Let's eat normally tomorrow, right? You don't have to have cake for breakfast. And don't, and don't like berate yourself about indulging in the cake. Make it, make it a choice that you're actually choosing rather than, oh, I'm just going to eat it because it's there because this is the event that I went to and they happen to have it, but you know be intentional with your decisions having a coach there to help guide you through that process is so important absolutely yeah no i always i call it conscious indulgences don't beat yourself up for having a piece of cake like you want the piece of cake that's fine choose to enjoy it and mindfully enjoy it so you're not just like having a piece of cake not satisfied i'm gonna go have another one because i i didn't enjoy that one because i was beating myself up the whole time so everyone needs that kind of reminder right? Especially if you're focused on your health for so long that, you know, you've outlawed cake or whatever, what have you. Don't outlaw cake. No, please don't do that. But then it, it can be easy to fall into that guilt trap, right? It can lead to a lot of other unhealthy behaviors that aren't serving your health throughout the whole season. I agree with all of that. One of the things I ask all of my podcast guests is what are the top three things that you're doing to feed your health? So what are yours? Nice. Perfect. Feed my health. Let's see. I am eating whole foods, mainly whole foods. I am traveling often. My my goal is go someplace I've never been once a year. Love that. I think it's so important for one, just a break, <laughs> relaxation from everything, but also seeing different, different cultures, learning, opening your eyes to different perspectives is huge for health. And I think the biggest thing is 
prioritizing my life, what matters most to me at any given moment and making sure I'm living in, in alignment with that. Ooh, I love that. Right up my alley. Where did you go uh, this past year? If you, if you went anywhere, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. So I went to Switzerland, Germany and Switzerland. I have family in Germany, so I've been there a bunch, but Switzerland I've never been to and just got back two days ago from Hawaii, oh, wow. which I've never been to. So nice. Pretty awesome trips. Yeah. It was, it was one of those, um, COVID rebounds. Okay. We got to go places now. <laughs> we got to go. Right. Uh, I love it. Before, before something else happens again. So where can people find you and what services do you offer? Obviously I'm going to link everything to show notes, but yeah, just verbally. I am at Hubs Consulting on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, my website is hubsconsulting.com and I offer one-on-one coaching. I am offering a free webinar coming up about um, holiday health consistency. Yeah. Mainly just one-on-one coaching. Awesome. Love it. Well, this has been amazing and I have loved everything that we've talked about. So thank you so much for coming. Any final thoughts? No, this has been, this has been great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome to just talk about the epic shit that we're helping people do. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you liked what you heard, please leave a rating or review. And as always, endlessly appreciative of all of my listeners. Don't forget to grab my free 60 strategies to end emotional eating, overeating, and mindless eating in the show notes. Hope to catch you next week. Ciao. Thank you.